the Bible Challenge. In the 19th century, maps were not quite as accurate as they are today. And there was a ship by the name of the USS Jeanette, captained by Lieutenant George DeLong. This was in 1878. And the ship eventually was wrecked because of a faulty map. DeLong was headed toward the North Pole, and the map that he was using suggested that there was a thermometric gateway through the ice that opened into a vast polar sea on the top of the world. In other words, the map said that there was a fair weather passage beyond all the ice, and DeLong's entire expedition was staked on that map. But it turned out he was heading to a world that did not exist. There is no polar sea at the North Pole. He and his crew had to shed their unfounded ideas and replace them with reality as the ice surrounded the ship, and it was by then too late. There's a lot of faulty maps today, a lot of faulty fantastical maps that paint alluring pictures that draw us toward them, and all too often we stake the expedition of our lives on them, and it's not until people are shipwrecked that they realize, I got the wrong map. And what makes maps dangerous, they look like they fit reality. They can fool us. There there might even be some truth in them. They they say, yes, this is the way. Today is the last in my series on living vertically for this summer. And we cannot live vertically in this world without the Word of God as our roadmap. And so this morning, I'm going to make a case for this book and how critical it is to make this the map for your life. Barna Research Group concludes that only 9% of evangelical Christians today have a Christian worldview. So 90% of people who claim to be followers of Jesus are actually living by a faulty map. And Paul warned about this in Acts 20. He said, people will arise and distort the truth or distort the map. Romans 1, he talks about the wickedness of men who suppress the truth and exchange the truth of God for a lie. Romans 2 says they reject the truth and follow evil. Galatians 2, Paul writes, hoping that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. And the early church knew if the truth got distorted, if the map is wrong, it will lead us astray. And what's really dangerous for us today, if 90% of people who claim to follow Jesus are biting by the wrong map, really don't have a Christian worldview, it's awfully easy for us to convince one another, hey, we're okay, we're all on the same map, the same page, because 90% of us agree, and 90% can't be wrong. Those those 10% that actually do follow the Bible and have a Christian worldview, well, they're just different. So last week we talked about worship, our most basic need. We were made for this amazing, awesome God. Exodus 24, worship requires distance, a sense of awe and wonder and fear of this God. Don't get comfortable. And I believe the number one reason people don't worship, they have not grasped how beyond awesome this God is. Second thing, worship requires a response from us, a commitment that I will give my life to this God above all other gods, but also worship requires a word from God, and I want to expand on that, how this is the map for us to live. Research shows that the Bible is the most powerful catalyst for spiritual growth, and that most transformation occurs when people talk about the Bible with other people. In other words, get into a group. Do a Bible study with other people. That's the best thing you can do for your spiritual growth. Sunday school class or small group. Someone, some other people that are in the Word. So today, why do we need this Word of God? What makes it so critical for spiritual growth? 
Jesus himself quoted scripture when he was tempted and said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Did you hear that? Olive Garden is not enough. You need to feed on the Bible. And if not, you're going to be malnourished. Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So what is it about this book that makes it critical to living a vertical life? What's so important about this book? Here's some things the Word of Truth will do for us. Number one, the Word convicts us. The reason the early disciples and the early church was so on fire and turned the world upside down is they were convicted that what this book said is true. They knew, they knew Jesus was the Son of God. They knew that He died and rose again. They knew that Jesus was ushering in a new kingdom and a new age and all other governments and philosophies and religions will fail. They knew the truth about this which this book speaks and they were convicted by it. Now, I was raised in a Christian home, baptized when I was 11, relatively faithful through high school, went to a Christian college, kind of an inherited faith, but it was not until my mid-20s that I got really fired up about Christianity and ministry. That is when I became convicted and convinced of the truth of it. I went through kind of a crisis, a time of questioning. And during that time, I looked a little more into Christianity and some other philosophies and religions and ideologies, and I just came to the conclusion, this is the one that makes sense. This is the one that has historical integrity. Are there questions? Absolutely. Are there some things that are still hard to believe? No doubt. Are there some areas that we can't quite figure out? Yes, that's true. But this is the map. I became convicted about that, and I will give my life to it. And I think much of the lack of enthusiasm in Christianity today is this passed-on faith. We're kind of born into it. Well, my mommy believes, and my grandparents, and I have friends, and they believe. And it just lacks that conviction. Each generation has to grapple with the word, the truth of this word, and will I commit to it? And frankly, I'd like to see some Christians be forced to grapple with their faith. You know, is it true or is it not? If it's not true, quit wasting your time. If it's not true, it's not worth giving anything to. You know, you got to get convicted. Either believe it or don't, get off the fence. It is amazing how much information there's available to us today. In fact, I saw an article that said information is doubling every 12 months now. All the information that we've had for millennia. And then I read it's doubling every 30 days, drowning in a sea of information. We have all this knowledge and you just cannot take it all in. And so you have to decide and ask what knowledge is most important? What knowledge will give you direction? Someone sent me an email with trivia, you know, knowledge that you may not know. Share a couple of these. Most American car horns honk in the key of F. Did you know that? You learned something today. You know something? Barbie, you know Ken and Barbie? Barbie's full name is Barbara Millicent Roberts. Isn't that amazing? And the average person falls asleep in seven minutes. Hopefully not during the sermon. Uh, studies, show, studies show that if a cat falls off the seventh floor of a building, it has about a 30% less chance of surviving than a cat that falls off the 20th floor. Huh. It supposedly takes about eight floors for the cat to realize what is occurring, relax, and correct himself. I always thought cats were stupid. Uh, 101 Dalmatians, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, Mulan are the only Disney cartoons where both parents are present and don't die throughout the movie. How important is that information? Not very. 
And you just cannot take it all in. We have to decide, how do I swim in this ocean of information? What information is the important information that will keep me afloat in life? Which road map will you follow? Out of everything that's out there and everything that's available in cyberspace, what are you going to grab onto? What's the knowledge most worth knowing? You've got to pick. I pick God's map for my life. I want my kids to have that map, the truth. It will convict. The truth also transforms us. Rick Warren said the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us like the Son of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us like the Son of God. I don't know of anyone, now maybe there's some there, out there somewhere, but I don't know of anyone leading a spiritually transformed life who is not deeply saturated in Scripture. I just haven't seen it. I don't know of anyone whom I would consider spiritually mature who is not engaged with the Bible. There may be some. I just haven't seen them. Ephesians 4 says we're cleansed by the Word. Peter says we grow by the Word. John says we're sanctified or made holy by the Word. Psalm says we're enlightened by the Word. Revelation says we're kept by the Word. And Paul says the Word is powerful. You have to have the Word if you're going to grow. Now, in 1780... Robert Rakes was a newspaper editor who went into prisons to teach God's Word to convicts, and he did some good in doing that. But then he remembered the motto, vice can be better prevented than cured. So he began an experiment in 1780. He gathered the poor and the uneducated children in his city, many who had been in his paper for crimes they'd committed. I mean, these were kids headed the wrong way. And they brought him to his kitchen and hired a teacher to teach them how to read so they could read the Bible. And that was the birth of, in 1780, the birth of what we call Sunday school. But Rakes knew they needed motivation to get into the Word, so he offered a $20 gold coin to anyone who would memorize the entire book of Proverbs. And when the kids began learning the book of Proverbs, chapter by chapter, he watched their characters be transformed before his very eyes. And maybe that's what we need to do, to pay people to memorize the book of Proverbs and, and pay people to study the Word. That might be the best crime prevention investment we could ever make. So if I need to pay for your kids to be in Sunday school, let me know, I will help. Not really. But it is important. I want to get your attention, okay? It is that important. The Word transforms lives, and the number one catalyst for spiritual growth, it convicts us and transforms us. And then third, the Word protects us from many things, like falsehood, false maps that lead to destruction. Falsehoods can sound so appealing. You'll see them every day on Facebook. Kids will hear it in college. In almost every New Testament letter, the apostles had to deal with some sort of false map, some doctrinal error like legalism, Gnosticism, docetism, libertinism, asceticism, every other ism. And they all have their advocates, and they're still alive and well today, by the way, just different names. Plus, today we have modernism and postmodernism and statism. And the Word is the way we can guide through these murky waters. The Word is the map we can trust. The Word protects us from temptation. Jesus used Scripture when He was tempted. Now, I'm thinking, if Jesus needed the Word, you do too. How arrogant to think we can live for Christ without Christ's Word. And when the Word is in me, God is more alive in me. It gives me direction. I heard an old preacher once say, and it's always stuck with me because I think it's true. He said, when I neglect the Word for one day, I notice. 
When I neglect the word for two days, my wife notices. And when I neglect it for three days, my, my church notices. When you neglect the word, you're losing some nourishment. You, it'll protect you from temptation. It'll nourish your soul and your spirit. And it also protects from traditionalism. This is a biggie. In Matthew 15, Jesus said to the religious leaders, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. See, that was, that was a huge, huge issue with religion back then. I still think it is today. And Jesus said, get back to the Bible with an open mind, and it will challenge some of the ruts you've gotten into. It will challenge the conventional wisdom that we've unthinkingly accepted for years. It will challenge the mindset of 90% people who claim to be Christian and who really don't have a Christian worldview. See, maturing means getting beyond some of those old ideas and those old thinking habits. And the Word protects us from getting into these ruts of traditionalism. The Word will always challenge you. It will always challenge your thinking. It convicts, transforms, protects, and it produces fruit. Jesus told a parable about the Word. The Word is like seeds scattered by a farmer. Now, this farmer in this story is not too bright. I almost put in a farmer joke here, but I thought it better not. Anyway, Jesus tells a farmer story, and the farmer started by planting some seed in his driveway. Now, that's dumb. And that doesn't work. And of course, no plant comes up and there's no fruit. And this represents those who hear the word and they're not responsive at all. This is the closed mind. And there are some who are as hard as nails. Their mind is made up. It's like talking to a brick wall. And then this not-so-bright farmer planted some seed on rocky ground and a few plants sprout up, but they don't last because they don't have deep roots. They don't produce any fruit. They represent the shallow mind. They didn't get grounded. They never got any depth. They got excited at first and excited about Jesus and excited about service. It's kind of like my concern for kids to go to CIY or to Haiti. They get excited and it sprouts up quickly, but does it last? You need some root. You need the word to penetrate deeply to keep you going and keep you strong. And then this farmer, he throws some on weedy ground and it sprouts up, but it doesn't last as it's choked out by the weeds. Jesus said they're distracted. This is the distracted mind. They're distracted by wealth, by worries. They're distracted by busyness and all the other weeds in their lives. And it chokes out the word and it doesn't produce. And then finally he gets some on the good soil and it's productive. And that's the open mind. And by open mind, I don't mean someone who says, well, you believe what you want and I believe what I want. No, it's a true open mind that is really wanting truth. It's a truth seeker. Searching and discarding the things that are not true. It's a mind that wants the map for true life. So let me give you three challenges this morning. If this is the map for life, three responses. Number one, I want to challenge you to accept this authority. The Bible must become the authoritative standard for your life, the compass you rely on for direction, the counsel you listen to for making wise decisions. Many of our troubles occur because we base our choices on unreliable authority, like culture. You know, everyone's doing it. Well, the majority is wrong. Or we base it on tradition. We've always done it that way. Or we base it on reason. You know, it just seemed logical. Or we base it on emotion. Well, it just felt right. And all those authorities are flawed because we are flawed and we're all infected by the fall. And if we read our Bibles, we would understand that. The Bible is the only authority, ultimately, that you can trust. The only map for life. Ian McClellan, McClellan, know that name? Played Gandalf, Lord of the Rings. 
He confessed that whenever he stays in a hotel, he sees if they have a Gideon Bible. And if they do, he finds Leviticus 18.22 and rips out that page. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that says. You can look it up. But Ian McKellen is honest. If the Bible says something he doesn't like, he's going to rip it out. And I would propose that everyone here has done that to some extent. I don't like what it says, so I'm going to ignore it. I've done it. You've done it. You know, we want to be the authority. You know, the Bible says I need to forgive someone, someone who's really hurt me bad. Well, I don't, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to do that. The Bible says that we're supposed to give to the poor. <laughs> the poor don't deserve it. I mean, they're poor because they're stupid or something like that. The Bible says we're supposed to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. Sacrifice? Man, I'm not doing that. And then the Bible talks about denying myself. Yeah, right. Forget that. And then the Bible says all those passages about tithing. Man, there's a lot of those. We got to get them out of here. The Bible talks about giving and sacrifice. We don't literally rip them out. We say, well, that's just your interpretation. That's just what the preacher says. Well, that's just, I just disagree. And we find ways to fit our map. And we get lost. You want revival? Get back to the authority of this word and really respect it. Remember we used to sing B-I-B-L-E? That's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of... I changed one word in that song. I stand alone under the word of God. Acceptance authority means submitting to the whole word. When it says, love your enemies, Jesus was serious. Praying for them, he was serious. Turning the other cheek, I think he was serious about that too. It means making amends with someone I don't want to make amends with. It means the gossip stops. It means I control my tongue. It means that I'm concerned about people in other nations as much as I am about Americans. It means I sacrifice for a cause greater than myself. Paul said everything in Scripture is God's Word, not part of it. He said all of it is useful for teaching and helping people and correcting and showing how to live. Accept its authority, and I guarantee you it will change your life. You may not perfectly follow. You will not perfectly follow. But you know this is the rule for my life. This is my map. Here's the second challenge. Assimilate the truth. It's not just good enough to believe the Bible or respect it and have a high regard for the Bible. I must fill my mind with it so the Holy Spirit can transform me. Read it. Just read it. You can't watch TV and be on Facebook for four hours and then read the Bible for four minutes and expect anything to really change. If you cut out one 30-minute TV program a day and read the Bible, you can read the entire Bible throughout in one year. In fact, some of you could read it twice in a year in 30 minutes a day, depending on how fast you read. If you're not a reader, you can get an audio Bible. You'll just assimilate it somehow, some way. Memorize it. Um, Memorizing is harder as you get older. I've noticed that. And uh, it seemed like the stuff I memorized when I was a kid is still with me. So learn it as young as you can. It's a big help. Uh, meditating, reflect on it, take some time alone and be quiet. Just let Scripture speak to you and focus on it. Think about it, pray about it. See, I think in the Christian church, we are too rational. Eh, I don't know if we're too rational. But we're not mystical enough. God does want a personal relationship with us. He does want to speak and communicate with us. And we're too busy. We got all these weeds in our lives choking it out. So you need to take some time. God, I want to talk to you. Pray about that passage. If a passage really strikes you, read it again the next day. Wrestle it, ponder it, and chew on it. Make it a part of your being. And if you have kids, get a Bible storybook and read it to your kids. They'll learn, and you'll learn as well. 
Now, here's my joke of the day, and it's really bad. But a little girl was sitting with her grandmother, and the elderly lady had given her, the, the little girl and her family the family Bible in the old King James. And the youngster was asking a number of questions about the family members' names in the Bible and asking about certain things in Scripture herself. And the grandma was trying to answer all the kids' questions. And, of course, children always ask very hard questions at times. And she was doing her best to answer them until the child asked this one, and this stopped grandma in her tracks. Which virgin was the mother of Jesus? Was it the Virgin Mary or the King James Virgin? I told you it was, okay. But get the word into your child. I remember learning kids from my mom, learning the Bible from my mom and my dad, and I didn't always get it right, but I'll tell you what, I will always for eternity be grateful to them. Give your kids the best gift possible. Get them into Sunday school, do a Bible study, uh, Bible book with them. And then get into Sunday school or small group or both. I've heard testimonies from people over the years who said, Mark, my group has renewed my faith. I was mad at God. My faith was floundering, and now I'm in the Word. We're having family time at home. we got visible changes, and they're getting back into the Word with other people. I just want to challenge you to become receptive soil, not shallow, not too busy. Don't be hard. Be receptive. Let me add one more thing I don't have on the screen there. We have devotional booklets available at the tables. Grab one of those on your way out. Just one, one devotion a day. Third challenge then, apply its message. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And here's where it gets exciting. Here's where you start living by faith. Because reading and meditating and learning are all good, but it's useless if we fail to put it into practice. Just take one thing from your Bible reading for the day and, and apply it. Or one thing from this sermon or one thing from your Sunday school lesson today and apply it. You won't change everything overnight, but you can change one thing a day. And I, I've seen this happen in people's lives. Now, I'm going to put in a plug for Sunday school right now. This is the uh, commercial time. We have adult Sunday school, and these teachers, Pat Stroman has been teaching here for about 100 years or now. Her class meets in the back of the sanctuary. She said I could say that. Uh, and they're studying heaven. I don't, can't imagine a more exciting study than heaven. Tracy Dyer meets right back there in the kitchen air, uh, eating area. He's excellent stuff. You has excellent stuff. You've heard him preach. He teaches there and does a good job. Tad Blackader teaches Bible over at LCU and other Christian college. He's preached for us. He's very knowledgeable, good communicator uh, in the basement of, of uh, over in the sanctuary building. Deanne Mott, Laura Wakeman, women's class in the sanctuary building across from my office. Jacob Wilson has taught at the college level and on the mission field. He leads a class in the Family Life Conference, conference room there. And then Parker heads up our college and our adult class meets in the sanctuary uh, prayer room there as well. So, and then I can have a list of all these uh, children's teachers, if we can have them. And I'm not going to read through all of them, but you can just see who they We have a lot of people that give their time to the Word and just teaching the Word. Let's go to the next one as well, okay? All right. And we have classes for kids of all ages, excellent teachers with our kids. I feel better about our Sunday school than, I, I don't know, I have in a long time. I just think we have quality stuff. So we're going to have pictures of some of these teachers after the service, if you're around, you know, see some of them. We had them before service today. We might run them uh, the next couple of weeks, too. And then I'm not going to... I'll talk about small groups in the next couple of weeks, but we got them on Wednesday nights, too. Here's a third thing. It's an experiment that I've been doing just this year. And I, for lack of a better term, I call them discipling groups. I'm experimenting with some guys. I get four guys five of us together, and we just go through a 10-week study. 
And it's been really good so far. Uh, we just finished uh, the second one I had today, the second group. And the guy said, he is being challenged in so many ways. And I can just see these changes happening in these guys. And uh, it's just really exciting. So you might be hearing about that. If you get asked to be in a discipling group, say yes. You'll be glad you did. Now, next Sunday, J.T. Thomason. Remember him? He was here years ago, seven years ago. He's going to be teaching Sunday school. We're going to have a combined Sunday school you know, right here, right where we're sitting, 945. We're combining all the adult class. Next Sunday is a great Sunday for you to start Sunday school if you're not been in. It's going to be very, you know, you know uh, not going to be, what do I want to say? Anyway, you'll enjoy it. It'll be good. So consider Sunday school. This is the map. And this is the way and this is the direction. And this is the knowledge most worth knowing. I don't care how excited you are about Jesus Christ right now. If you're not grounded, it'll be choked out eventually. You need the root of this word. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this word. Thank you for revealing your will to us. Thank you for the word that comforts us when we need comfort and it challenges us when we need challenge. I thank you for our teachers and their commitment to weekly, week in and week out, to present the word to our children, to our adults. And our prayer today, Lord, is that we'd be receptive soil. And the best way to be receptive soil is to study the word with other people. And I pray for everyone here today that will be in a group somehow, somewhere in the Word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond to God through prayer and praise.